Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are here in the room who have joined us this morning in person. Good morning to you folks watching online live right now on a Sunday morning. So thrilled that you're with us this morning. And good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it might be. If you're watching us later on in the week, thank you for making some time in your schedule to uh, spend some time here with us at Connect. I hope that you get to experience the love of God this morning. Uh, I hope you get to experience the love of God throughout this service and uh, we hope that you'll find uh, a way to get more connected to him through what we're talking about. So um, I have three children, my young, I have two boys and then my youngest is my daughter Emma. She's 12, just about to turn 13 and about four years ago Emma and I started this kind of tradition, dad-daughter thing where uh, during the summer break from school we'd, we'd do something together, something special together. So it normally involved at least a day away together, sometimes an overnight stay and we've been to Chicago and Springfield and we've done some different things and we were actually getting close so her school starts back up on Tuesday and uh, the summer was almost at an end and we still hadn't got to do our our summer trip together. So this week we finally were able to to squeeze it in and uh, we took a day and we drove down to St. Louis and uh, we've driven by the arch many times but I said to Emma, would you like to go and actually see the arch, go up in the arch? So uh, on Thursday of this week we uh, got to travel down to St. Louis and there we are. We uh, got to travel up to the top of the arch. It was brilliant. We loved it. Uh, Got to see some great views of the city. Uh, But before we actually went up into the top of the arch, there's a museum that you can tour, which I was really excited about. She, not so much. Uh, But I managed to drag her through the exhibits and to spend as much time as possible reading each plaque, but she didn't want any of that. So, Uh, But I did stay long enough in the museum to come across, um, as it was going through America's history and the history of the Midwest, uh, there was a this wonderful display where there was a stagecoach and this stagecoach was actually there in the museum and in front of the stagecoach was this plaque and it was an excerpt from a newspaper in 1867 uh, that talked about etiquette for riding the stagecoach. This was an actual report from a newspaper of things you should and shouldn't do while using uh, America's form of transportation to get across the country. So uh, some of the things were don't smoke a strong pipe inside especially early in the morning. Great advice there. Uh, Spit on the leeward side of the coach. I wouldn't know what side the leeward side is, but I'd want to find out if I ever felt like I needed to spit, because that's the side you use. Uh, Don't swear or lop over on your neighbor while sleeping. (laughs) So uh, good advice still today in 2020. If you're traveling in an airplane, don't swear or lop over on your neighbor while sleeping. It's just not, not approved of. And then 150 years ago, right there towards the bottom, don't discuss politics. 150 years ago, that was advice while traveling on a stagecoach. And that advice we probably still hold to today, don't we? In fact, have you ever heard sometimes people say you should never talk about religion or politics? Those are the two things you just never talk about, never bring up. When it comes to religion, I've not done a very good job of that. Every Sunday, that's all I talk about. So if you come here, you'll hear me speak a lot about that on a Sunday morning and uh, less about religion and more about Christianity and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I don't normally talk about politics here from the stage on a Sunday morning. But every now and again, normally on a kind of four-year cycle, (laughs) our faith 
and our life kind of intersect. And I feel that this is something that we need to, to address and talk about through the lens of what we believe as Christians. You see, in this increasingly polarizing world, I want to make sure that we as a church know what it looks like to be able to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because you may be surprised to hear this this morning, but did you know that politics can be quite dividing? Do you know that? That's crazy, right? I'm sure you didn't realize that, okay? But, but that whole idea, it can actually be quite divisive. So, so what are we as followers of Jesus doing to make sure that, that that division, that polarization doesn't creep into the church, doesn't affect us as his followers? And more than that, what are we doing to, to, to demonstrate, to show the world in what we live, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus at this time? Because in this divisive culture, I think people are looking to see those of us who might live differently. What it would look like to have a relationship with Jesus at this time. Because I actually believe, I believe that we, as followers of Jesus, we can disagree politically and yet still love unconditionally. I think that is what we as a church have to offer our culture today, that we are a group of people who can disagree politically and yet still love unconditionally. And the challenge is that kind of leads us to swim against the current a little bit because that goes against what we might see modelled in our community. So, so it doesn't come naturally to us. It's something that we have to ask Jesus to help us with. So I want to talk here in the next few weeks about this particular subject and I'm going to be real honest with you up front. So, so the idea for this series, the, the series called Talking Points, it came from a, a series of sermons I saw a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, who's a pastor of a large church in Atlanta, Georgia, called North Point Community Church. I saw him preach this series. And as he's preaching it, and I'm kind of writing notes and listening, I'm thinking, this is great. He's really doing a great job here of bringing in the teachings of Jesus and what the Bible teaches and, and making it relevant to our culture and what we're living through right now. So much so that I actually considered just saying, hey, for the next few weeks, instead of listening to me, we're going to listen to Andy. We'll just show you the video because he does such a good job, probably a better job than I could do of teaching on this subject, that we'll just watch him. But my fear was that if I put him on the screens, it might be easy for us who, who don't know who he is to look and, and maybe he says something that we're not sure we agree with or he brings some teaching from the Bible. We're like, well, who are you to say that? You know, we, we don't have that relationship with him. So instead, I decided to, to maybe try and teach what he taught in his message myself. And here's why, because unless it's your first time here on a Sunday morning, and if it is your first time here on a Sunday morning, I'm so glad you're here. Please stay long enough to at least get through this series and another series to kind of get a view of Connect as a whole. But those of you who have been coming on a regular basis, you've decided to attend Connect Church here in Washington because you trust us. You trust us. This is a, a church where you feel like you can grow in your faith, where, where we line up with, with what you believe about the Bible and, and you allow us and me to speak into your lives and help bring some interpretation of what I feel Scripture's teaching on different subjects. And, and because of that, you come on a regular basis and, and you allow me and others to speak into your lives from the Bible. And let's be honest here this morning. I mean, for, for seven years now, I've been trying to convince you that soccer is better than football. 
that my football is better than your football. And you still keep coming. <laughs> I've not won a convert yet. You still keep coming. So hopefully, as I teach on this message, that when there's some things that, that maybe stretch your thinking a little bit, stretch your faith a little bit, challenge your thinking a little bit, that you'll be open to allow God to speak into your lives, that we are all learners. We are all wanting to learn more about what it looks like to follow Jesus in our lives. So for those of you who are still a bit nervous, just by the, the very phrase that's on the screen behind me, let me assure you of a couple of things that we're not going to do in this series. Number one, I am not going to tell you how you should vote. I don't believe that is my role. I believe that you, as a follower of Jesus, you should go with the convictions that Jesus has given you, your, your relationship with God. That should lead you to vote whichever way you feel, feel led to vote based on your Christian convictions. Number two, I'm going to talk a little bit about this over the coming weeks. I do believe that when it comes to where we put our faith, we should always put our faith more in Jesus and his kingdom than in the politicians and the, the kingdom of this world. I just, I just think our, our hope has to be first and foremost in Jesus himself. That as followers of Jesus, we have to trust him. But just because I believe that, you will not hear in this series me telling you that you shouldn't vote. I think you should vote. I think all of us should vote. There are people living in countries right now around the world who don't have the freedom to vote like we do. Maybe they've got the freedom to vote, but it's in a, a, a society where things are, are rigged and their vote just doesn't really count at all. So we have this wonderful privilege, this wonderful option as a democratic society to be able to have an influence in the way our country is governed. So I'm not going to tell you how to vote, and I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't vote. I'm going to tell you that you should vote. So that's what we're not going to do in this series. But what I will be doing is challenging you to think through your faith over the coming months. I'm going to ask you if you're willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics. And this morning... We're going to start out on this subject by looking at this idea. Can we, can we as followers of Jesus, learn to disagree politically and still love unconditionally? Is that possible? How, and if it is, how? How can we get to that place? You see, here's what I love about Connect Church. <clears throat> Seven years ago, uh, if you're new here, uh, my wife Casey and I, she actually grew up here in Washington. This is home for her. Uh, if it is your very first time here this morning, I'm not from Washington originally. You may be surprised to hear that. Didn't grow up here, grew up in England, but uh, married Casey, live here now. This is home. My kids go to school here. We love this community. We were actually working at a church in Peoria, but living here in Washington, and we had friends and neighbors who uh, didn't have a relationship with Jesus, didn't have a church home, and we just saw a need to start a church to reach those folks outside of the church. So seven years ago, we started Connect, and over the last seven years, we've seen this, this church family grow, and it's been wonderful to hear all of the stories, because there are so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Some, this is the very first church you've ever been a part of in your life. 
you didn't grow up going to church and this is all brand new to you. Others of you, you've grown up in church all your lives. Some grew up going to a different church. We've, we've got couples here who got married and he grew up at this church and she grew up at this church and she doesn't like his church and he doesn't like her church and we just became a great church that they both liked. So all sorts of different diversity, different things that have brought people here. But the other thing that's been really cool is we've discovered that um, people who have come to connect and found and followed Jesus, they come from different backgrounds politically. So I know, just because I'm friends with a lot of you on Facebook, I know some of you, that your TV is probably on Fox News all week long. And then I know there's others of you, your TV's tuned to MSNBC. And there's some of you, your TV's tuned to Disney+. And you're like, I'm going to just keep it there. So I love that we've got different people from different backgrounds. And I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes... I kind of wish that as a church, it wasn't like that. Sometimes I wish that we were all just either one way or the other, right or left, whatever it is, just that we were in one camp or the other. Because then for me as a preacher on a Sunday morning, it would be a lot easier. Because I could preach some things and everyone would be like, yes, amen, we all agree. (laughs) But we're not like that. And the thing is, there are some churches that can be a little bit like that, and I would encourage you not to be a part of those churches. I would encourage you to be a part of a church where there is diversity, where there are people from different backgrounds and different upbringings and even different political ideologies, but who all gather together on a regular basis with a common purpose to love and worship Jesus together. Because you're going to find out this morning that I think that was Jesus' plan from the very beginning. And when we remember that, it'll help us during this political season to remember that we are a part of the church that Jesus had in mind 2,000 years ago. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at uh, the writings of a man by the name of uh, John. John was one of the four uh, people who wrote about the life of Jesus. And here's what's important to understand. When John wrote about Jesus, it's not like he was following Jesus around with a pen and paper taking notes. This was years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. People were sharing stories about Jesus. Do you remember when he taught this? Do you remember when he healed this person? Because the the culture of the time was a storytelling culture. Not many people could write, so people told stories. But at some point, they realized, we're going to have to write this stuff down before these stories get twisted. So John was one of the ones who, years after the life of Jesus, wrote down the important things that he could remember from the life of Jesus. So John is going to show us today in John chapter 17 that he remembered the prayer that Jesus prayed, one of the very last prayers that Jesus prayed before he was crucified and killed. So you'd think, wouldn't you, that this prayer would be a prayer of, God, help me, protect me, keep me safe, deliver me. But you're going to be surprised at what one of the last prayers Jesus prayed actually was. It's in John chapter 17, verse 1. Father, this is Jesus praying, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. So there's no doubt that Jesus knows the timing of this prayer. He starts out his prayer by saying, God, Father, the time has come. He knows what is about to happen. And yet still, knowing what's about to happen, listen to what he prays. Verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they... 
They are still in the world and I'm coming to you. So the they he's talking about are his disciples. So he's praying now to his father about the disciples. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that, so that what? So that they will stay safe for the rest of their lives, so they will have no harm befall them. Well, no, obviously not, because we know from history that the disciples were arrested on a regular basis, were put in prison, were beaten. Most of them were killed because they continued to preach Christ after his death and resurrection. So that wasn't the prayer. No, verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The we he's talking about is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity saying, God, I want them to experience the same unity that I experience with you. That's it. The one prayer that Jesus prays before giving up his life is for his disciples and that they would experience oneness or unity. Verse 20, he carries on. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus doesn't stop just praying for the disciples. He says, okay, I want to pray for the disciples that they will experience unity and oneness with one another, but not just them. I want to pray for the people that they will reach who will hear the message about me and who will make a decision to follow me. So that referred to a group of people 2,000 years ago who got to hear the disciples preach in real life, but it also refers to you and to me. Because we've got to hear this message 2,000 years later. So in this moment, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, right before he's about to be crucified, he's praying for you and for me. He's praying for the disciples and he's praying for us. And what is it he's praying? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, so before we discover what he's going to pray, bear in mind, he's not just praying for a few groups. These people, he's praying for all of them. So in that context, it was the Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Samaritans, women, slaves, freedmen, soldiers, tax collectors, wealthy, not so wealthy, all the people who lived in Jesus' time, all who came from very different backgrounds with different viewpoints, but all who are going to become followers of Jesus. He's praying for all of them. 2,000 years later, the group is just as diverse. He's praying for Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Indecisives, brown, black, white, rich, middle class, single, married, privileged, soccer fans and football fans, people who like country music and people who like just music, okay? He's, he's praying for everyone. And this is what he's praying Verse 20, verse 21, sorry, that all of them may be one. That all these different people from all these different backgrounds, that they may be one in me. Now we may hear that prayer and say, Jesus, that sounds like kind of an impossible prayer. I mean, you've got a lot of different people here from a lot of different backgrounds, but not only did Jesus not think it was impossible, he actually felt like it was imperative that he pray this prayer. Because he didn't want to just create a nice place where we all get along and we can all sing songs together. And It was more than just unity that we were all friends. It's because there was a bigger 
vision here that Jesus could see coming. Why was it so important to have this end goal of oneness? Verse 21. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why pray for oneness? Why pray for unity? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the people who don't yet know Jesus, the people outside of the church, the people who you do life with, who are looking in at us, so that they may see something different in us that will draw them, that will attract them to Jesus. And this wasn't a new idea. Four chapters before in John chapter 13, very famous verse that Jesus shares with his followers, verse 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is like, hey, you see how I've loved you? You too must love one another because, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You want to know the key to reach everyone? All of those outside of the church? How, how do we tell? Here's how everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is trying to introduce us this beautiful vision of what is to come. What a church could and should look like. A group of diverse people who look different and think different and vote different, but who are still united in love and in purpose. That's the key. It's not just the, the love because he wants us all to get along. It's the purpose of what we've been called to be as the church of Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine with me that your, your favorite football team has made it to the Super Bowl. Okay, so your favorite football team, they're in the Super Bowl. Um, if you're, obviously, if you're a Chicago Bears fan this morning, you can think of a different football team. But imagine that your favorite football team, okay, they've made it to the Super Bowl. And it's the locker room right before the game's about to start. Picture that scene. You've got a room full of guys. I have no idea how many guys. Someone in this room probably knows how many guys that is. I have no idea. It just looks like hundreds to me. I don't understand why so many people are on one team, but they're all in there. And they're all from different backgrounds. Some are black. Some are white. Some grew up with nothing in poverty. Others grew up in, in, in wealth. Some grew up because their dads themselves played football in the NFL. Some are Republicans. Some are Democrats. But in a moment, they're all going to step onto a field and none of that's going to matter because they all have one goal and that is to compete together as one team to win a prize, to hold a trophy above their heads, to get to wear a ring. How much more should we be one? We're competing for something far more than a ring, far more than a trophy. We are, we are literally competing for the souls of people who don't yet know Jesus. That's what's at stake here for us as a church. And Jesus, hours before his death, 
knew this, so he prayed specifically for how this can be accomplished through us. Listen to how he ends the prayer in John chapter 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Not political unity, but a unity of purpose. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus saying there is a purpose here. When they are together, when we are together in unity of purpose, despite thinking differently, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them. Think about this for a second. Your candidates will win or lose based on how America votes on a Tuesday in November. The church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. Your candidate will win or lose based on a vote in a Tuesday in November, but we as the church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. We must not let anything divide us. We must not let anyone divide us. Here's my challenge for all of us this morning as we just kind of think about this idea of what it could look like to disagree politically but love unconditionally. Maybe we could just start as as followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe the first thing we could be doing in in this season is just be praying for unity, praying for oneness. Because after all, 2,000 years ago, that's the prayer that Jesus prayed. Why wouldn't we want to follow his lead and pray the same prayer ourselves? Number two, we could look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone who we know with whom we disagree politically. Maybe there's someone we can think of right now and it's like, God, help me to love them more. They think differently than me. Help me to choose to love them unconditionally at this time. So, Disagree, disagree politically, love unconditionally, pray for unity, but most importantly, don't miss out the opportunity to come back next week as we continue on in this series. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and it amazes me, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, you walked this earth, you taught, and you preached, and you lived a life that 2,000 years later still is relevant to us today in a society and a a country that didn't even exist 2,000 years ago and yet some of the principles you teach are still at the core of what we deal with today as your followers. So help us, Jesus, to be the church, to represent you in how we live our lives, to love one another, to, to show the world outside what it can look like to be diverse in our thinking but committed in our unity and our love for one another and committed in our unity for our purpose to to reach people who don't know you. Help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks so much for being here this morning. I hope you'll come back and join us again next week.